We're so honored to be hosting um, this event by San Jose State University Library and Information School. And for me personally, as a graduate and alumnus of San Jose State Library and Information School, and also as having been the president for this tumultuous year, I am extraordinarily pleased to have you all here and to be participating in an even stronger partnership now moving forward. Um, I'd like to remind you all to please make sure that your cell phones are off. Um, and then I'd like to, it's my great pleasure and honor to introduce Dr. Sandra Hirsch, who's a professor and the new director of the School of Library and Information Science at San Jose State University. Um, prior to joining the school as a director, Sandy worked at various technology companies throughout Silicon Valley, including Hewlett Packard, Microsoft, and I think you're even going to hear a teeny bit about LinkedIn. Um, she's been a user experience researcher. She's been very active in technology initiatives around the area and in other states. Um, most recently, she's also been um, serving on the LIS Committee for the American Society for Information Science and Technology and on the American Library Association, and she currently serves on Palo Alto's Library Advisory Commission. A strong background, a deep background, and a wonderful new leader for San Jose State. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Sandy Hirsch. As Kim said, I am new and to the San Jose State um, University, and I'm thrilled to be there. I've been the director now for three months, and I couldn't be happier to be in this position. Um, but even though I'm new to the school in this role, I'm not new to the university and to San Jose State's um, library school program. Uh, I've actually been connected with the school off and on for the last 20 years. Starting in the early 1990s, I used to teach a couple courses as a part-time instructor um, at the Cal State Fullerton campus, the extension of the um, San Jose State program. And then most recently, as Kim mentioned, I've been on the International Advisory Board for San Jose State for the last nine years. And that's been a fantastic position to be in because I've really had an opportunity to see the school evolve and grow over the um, past nearly a decade and um, gave me a really good first-hand view of where the school is headed and, and um, where, where we need to continue to evolve and take the school. So I th it's interesting to think about where the future of the school is and the future of the profession. And the one thing we can be certain about is that the future is full of surprises and we can't completely predict where things will go. When I was growing up, some of you may know that I'm a second-generation librarian, so I had a lot of first-hand exposure to the field at a young age, and at that time, I wasn't too sure that that was the direction I was going to go. In fact, I was pretty certain that wasn't going to be the direction that I was going to go. But it's funny how life happens, and over time, I um, had a couple pivotal moments where I had really amazing impact and, um, and experiences with people in the library and information science profession, but it really was when I was finishing up my um, bachelor's degree in political science from UCLA that the moment of truth really happened, and that was when I was um, thinking about what the future holds for me personally, and thinking that there wasn't a lot that I could do from an employable standpoint with a bachelor's degree in political science. So I needed to think about the future. And then my mom, Gail Schlockner, for those of you who know her, said something that was really stuck with me over these years and I think is really true to this very day. And that is um, that uh, she said, she suggested, you know, Sandy, you might think about going to get your degree in library and information science. And I'm like, why? Would I want to do that. And she said, well, 
you know, the skills that you learn in library and information science will always be useful to you no matter what you do. And I'm like, you know, for the practical side of me thought, that's kind of appealing. I could see how that could be beneficial and I could really leverage that. And then she said, the other, the other point was that, well, and then you can always get a job. Well, I don't know so much about the second thing these days, but, you know, it, it, it appealed to me at the time. And so that's what really kind of launched me into getting my master's degree in library and information science. And once I was there, I was hooked. <laughs> I was so excited about the possibilities. And it really, when I went to get my degree, that was a time of a lot of change with how information was accessed and stored and the new technologies. And it was so exciting. And it's still that exciting today. And I still see tons of possibilities for our field and our profession. And I'm really excited about the ways we can involve it and very energized by the possibilities. So today, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about um, kind of where the school is today. Um, and I think that's important for us to understand what the present is and so that we can understand where we're headed. And then I'm going to talk about my vision for the future of the school. And then I love questions and uh, would love to entertain that. Everything possible today was at one time impossible. I think that's very much true for our field as well. Everything impossible today may at some time in the future be possible. So I think that this is um, something that I, th I think is good, good words for us to think about as we um, go through this presentation today. So I thought I'd start out just giving a couple overviews. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. Um, uh, just to kind of give a framework for the school. The school today is the largest accredited school of its kind in the world. And in fact, we have, you'll see different numbers, but about 2,500 graduate students um, in a lot of different countries. I'll show you a map in just a second. Since 2009, we've been fully online, and uh, that's been something that we've been gradually moving to over a number of years. And um, our, we've been improving in our rankings as well through a lot of hard work and dedication. And in fact, we were ranked number one by US News and World Report for e-learning in library and information science education, and we're very proud of that. So let me just show you a little bit. I thought you'd enjoy this map. This is actually just came out this week, the latest in, uh, map mapping of, our, um, of where our students are who are enrolled in the program. This is based on fall 2010 enrollment figures. And as you can see, we have students that are in 45 states and 17 countries. Um, now, a lot of the students are here in, in the state of California, but, it's, um, but there is a good distribution of our students in other places as well. And in fact, we're the largest program of library and information science in Canada, so, which is kind of interesting. So I thought I'd show you a little bit about how um, library and information science education at SLIS has evolved and, ha and how we've been delivering it. When you, I'm not going to go through in the details of this, but when you take a look at it, it's kind of interesting. Over the past 20 years that we've evolved from teaching at the Fullerton Branch campus, which is where I, what I did when I was a doctoral student at UCLA, um, in the early 90s, to moving onto the web, to using instructional technology, to today, in 2009, where we've moved fully online, and using a really interact, um, a whole mix of uh, instructional technologies. And I'll be showing you some examples of how we are using um, these technologies to really provide an enriching uh, experience for our students. So let me talk a little bit about that. We, we do uh, instructor lectures through web conferencing, audio podcasts. 
We do narrated slide presentations. We do a lot of different approaches to try to simulate the kind of lecture experience that you might have in a face-to-face environment, although we have the ability to really make it very rich and interactive from the standpoint of bringing in a lot of multimedia um, approaches and, and how we present those presentations. We also have a lot of online discussions. That's a very important part, just like you would in a classroom situation where you would be able to have question and answer periods. We have both asynchronous and synchronous um, exchanges. And we have lots of opportunities for informal interactions, kind of like you would have in-person office hours. We have office hours online and um, in in real-time conferencing, or there's all of our faculty are always available by email, blogging, Facebook, all different kinds of technologies. So let me show you a couple examples. I don't expect that you'll be able to see the details of this slide, so don't worry about it. But I did want to kind of show you, just to give for some of you who are not currently students in our program, um, a sense of uh, some of the ways that we do um, provide our education. We have something called, um, we have learning management system. This one's an angel, but we'll be changing it soon. But it'll be very similar. And this is just an example of a course um, page that we um, that our students would have access to, where um, if you look on the left, you'll see that there's course announcements. Um, There's a description of the course and a picture of the instructor and how you would be able to reach that instructor. There's all different kinds of calendars and lesson plans and ways to communicate with with each other and the instructor. Um, Information about the grades and how how you're doing in the class and the variety of activities that's taking place. So it's a very rich um, environment for the students to be able to to engage um, with the courses. One of the things that we've also found is that um, over the years, especially as we've moved into a 100% online environment, is the importance of making sure everybody has the same level of technology understanding, because we use technology so much in our instructional approaches that it's important. And also, it's important to have the human touch. And so what we've done is, in addition to having everybody take a required course in in emerging technologies, then we also assign them um, peer mentors that are um, allow um, other students who are well trained in these technologies to provide um, mentorship and and uh, support. We also provide a lot of support for our faculty as well to make sure that they know how to use the technology too. So here I have a picture of like uh, an Illuminate uh, session, and that's um, our web conferencing platform that we use in order to um, prov- allow people to drop in to ask questions to these peer mentors. I have here now one of the questions I often get when I talk about our program and distance education and how can you possibly teach storytelling online? Well, we do, and um, I have, I'm not going to play these videos, and anybody who wants to have any access to this, I'm happy to give later, but um, I Think it, I think that it's interesting to see how we've been evolving these kinds of things that seem kind of difficult to teach in a distance or online environment, and yet we're managing to do this and, I th- and to good effect. And so what, what this one is is to teach um, storytelling in terms of the oral tradition of storytelling. And in this case, these students are memorizing, reciting things that they've, um, that they've uh, learned and then presenting that 
um, online in a videotaped fashion. And they'll present, th present these in a variety of formats. Sometimes it'll be through YouTube or it might be through Blip TV or other kinds of technologies. And then what the students in the class would do would watch those in advance and then have discussions, real-time discussions about those over Illuminate sessions. And that way, um, give feedback to each other, critiques, and um, simulate the kind of storytelling experience in a virtual environment. Some of the other ways that we deliver online technology today in, um, in terms of thinking about how we're educating is through group projects. And I've been having the opportunity at this conference to talk to a lot of our students about how things are going and, um, and how they're managing their group projects. And there's a lot of different ways that, that, that our students are doing that, and it's really great, I think, that we do do these kinds of things. Um, I've been telling some folks how I have worked uh, at HP and at Microsoft, and in many cases, I was responsible for managing distributed teams that I never even met. <laughs> so I think it's really a, a very good real-world experience for our students to work in these group projects in a virtual, um, virtual online environment and get that experience, and they can bring that with them when they move into the workplace. Some of the ways that we do these group projects, though, is through um, having, uh, using some of the web conferencing sessions. Sometimes we use Skype. Uh, we Facebook groups, messaging, email. It's kind of dependent on what the activity is and what the different approaches of the students are. We also do student pre presentations online and through our courses, again, using many of these same kinds of um, technologies that I already mentioned. And we also make sure that our students have good research opportunities no matter where they are at. So let me show you a couple examples of these. So here's an example of what um, our ALA student chapter did um, recently, um, I think last year, uh, for the band Books Week, using Illuminate to um, get students together, and students would then read different sections of uh, books that were banned to each other using the web conferencing tool um, Illuminate. And in this particular example, um, you see a student who has the video of her actually reading it. So you can actually see her reading it real time um, with her um, actual uh, live feed. Uh, you might ask, how do you do guest speakers in an online environment? Well, we do guest speakers and using, again, for example, looking at this Illuminate session. In this case, this was um, a student who's actually here at this conference and might even be in this room, um, who, had, um, uh, who had put together um, this uh, session for his high school library and, and with his high school students. And you'll see underneath the big uh, video a picture is a smaller one who um, was a pilot uh, World War II veteran who was uh, the guest speaker for the class and was able to have live video incorporated into this. And then what you see on the right-hand side is um, uh, supporting materials that were pulled together to provide this very enriching and enlightening experience. In fact, it wasn't just these kind of uh, slides on the right, but also a couple of videos were shown uh, to really provide this kind of rich interchange and led question and answers with the students. It was very successful approach. And we do that not just with students, but um, uh, a lot of our instructors bring in guest speakers in similar ways. So in addition, we have a variety of um, second uh, immersive environments as well. And that's being used to good effect in a lot of different ways. And I, I just am showing little samplings of these um, experiences just so you can get a flavor of the kinds of things we're already doing and then where we need to build on for the future. 
But this one is um, this virtual center for archives and records administration in Second Life. Um, this was created um, to provide additional experiences for students. Um, and in fact, they put on a virtual conference last May um, that was called Public Records and Public Trust, which had 40 attendees and two speakers and seven posters. And it was so successful that they're going to be doing another conference next May um, that's around virtual archives and virtual treasures. And um, so this is just an example of some of the ways that um, these other technologies are being used. Um, similarly, this is another way that Second Life is being used to help bring uh, students together and have different kinds of experiences. Now, this archives, records, administrator, student group just got started recently, like um, this semester, to um, have these kinds of meetings in the virtual space and, um, and in fact, schedule tours um, in Second Life. And um, they recently went on a tour to a private airfield museum, which is really interesting, and also, which is also partic particularly interesting because 85% of what that was involved in the virtual tour was historically accurate. So um, they found that, uh, so they're scheduling these meetings and tours to meet in these virtual spaces. Oops. Another thing that um, another thing that people are using the Second Life for um, is a way to help bridge that sense of distance. And so there's been some kind of student get-togethers in um, virtual spaces. This one was to celebrate Halloween, but they've done things for Banned Books Week and other kinds of um, ways. And again, this is another way to help people feel part of a community and to um, bridge the sense of um, potential distance that they feel in an online program. One of the things we're also constantly doing is taking a look at what kinds of needs we have. And so in response to the kinds of needs that we've seen in the profession, we've been developing new programs. And I'm not going to talk in detail about these, but I'm certainly happy to provide you with any additional information if you're interested. Um, but um, we've developed in the past uh, five years ago, we started the Executive uh, Master's in Library and Information Science, which is aimed at people who are um, in interested in, who don't have their library degree yet, but are kind of in leadership roles in the profession, and uh, it's an opportunity for them to get their degree. Um, we have also this um, Master's of Archives and Records Administration, this MARA degree, which we started two years ago, and um, it's the first fully online program of its kind, and uh, is a cohort model, meaning that people start at the same time and go through together over a three-year period. And then what's really unique about our school is this Gateway PhD program, which anybody who knows about the California higher education knows that, that state, um, Cal States can't offer PhD programs. But what we were able to do is to offer this Gateway PhD program with the Queensland University of Technology so that students who are interested in getting a PhD can work through our school to get a PhD at, um, through the Queensland University of Technology. It's very exciting. We have a, this has been in the, um, operation for two, three years now, and we have a really healthy set of students going through the program, and uh, it's very exciting. So now I wanted to talk a little bit about the future. One of the things that I'm very fortunate in being the new director is that um, I think the school is on the right path. And so I feel very fortunate that, that, that I think the first thing we need to do is to build on the strong foundation that the school already has. 
And so here is um, the mission and vision uh, that I think is still relevant and important for us to be continuing to pursue um, as we move forward. And that is that the school should continue to work to be recognized as a leader in graduate education and library and information science, delivering innovative, high-quality programs. And that our mission should continue to be to educate professionals and develop leaders who organize, manage, and enable the effective use of information and ideas. I think those are really important, and we should continue on the strong path that we're on. Similarly, I think we need to continue to leverage the important value, shared values that we have in terms of integrity, excellence, community, uh, success, learning, diversity. All of those things are very important, and we need to continue to build on that. But at the same time, we need to be prepared for change. And there's change that's happening all around us. I've just picked out three trends. There could be many, many more. This wasn't meant to be exhaustive. But I think that these are just indicative of the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about as we prepare ourselves as professionals and as we address this as a whole profession about how change is integrated and how we address that. So I picked out three, three of them. One, that libraries are becoming bookless. Um, I haven't had a chance yet to go check out the new Stanford Engineering Library, but I'm very interested. I know it's billed as bookless, and it's not really bookless. There's 20,000 books in the library still. But, um, but there are other libraries that are bookless. The University of Texas at San Antonio Library in this fall um, was just opened up in that way. I think that's an interesting trend for us to be watching and see the kind of evolving role of libraries, especially... Um, those were academic libraries, so it'll be interesting to see how things happen as we evolve that um, in other types of libraries. Um, and then technology is going mobile, virtual, cloudless. Technology is going to change, and it's going to continue to change. It's kind of exciting, really, when you think about some of the changes that are upon us right now in terms of the mobile technologies and the opportunities for us to kind of build on that, the e-book readers, the, the QR codes, the, all the different kinds of technologies are here now, I think, and going to be coming in the future is something we need to be watching and paying attention to and thinking about how we can best use that to our advantage. And similarly... Our job roles are changing and evolving, and um, there's new opportunities for people in library and information science to apply their skills in different ways than they have previously, and um, new job titles that are emerging, and which are really interesting and really create new opportunities for, for people in our profession. Uh, so you things like cyberarians, metadata specialists, digital archivists, user experience designers and researchers. There's all types of new jobs, and these are just today. And tomorrow, who knows what those job titles will be. When I started in my program, there was nothing of that kind. And I'm very excited to see what the future job opportunities are going to be. So... The one thing, though, that even though there is all this change upon us, I think that one of the things that stays the same is the fact that there is a core set of skills that we have in the library and information science profession that we need to continue to develop and to nurture and grow, and that the things that need to change is the way that we think about applying those skills. And so I think, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share some of my ideas about how we step into that future and how we step into that future for the school. And I have this graphic here that talks about how we need to educate, position, solve, and partner. And I'm going to talk about each one of those in just a, in just a second and with a little bit more detail. 
And as I do that, I'm going to share a kind of personal story kind of for each part of it and kind of give you some more context about why I think that's so important. So let's start with educate. So um, I think I, I uh, have actually, I mentioned that I was uh, involved with uh, San Jose State teaching at their Fullerton program back in the early 90s. But after I finished my PhD at UCLA, I went to University of Arizona. And when I was there, I taught in one of the very early days of distance education. But it's nothing like what we have today. It's a far, just a far cry from that. Um, basically, at that time, it was just a static HTML web page with just really clunky kind of discussion list that wasn't very interactive and certainly not live and, and not synchronous. And so it was very early days. And... Um, but it was interesting to see how that could reach um, a broader set of people, and there was some value in it then, but not enough. We really needed to do, develop something. It was like kind of too early. It was too early for it to be successful. Um, similarly, at around the same time, I worked uh, with the State Library in Arizona while I was a professor at University of Arizona to develop uh, continuing education materials for rural librarians in the state of Arizona. Again, it was the early days. It was creating static web pages that didn't have any interactivity to it. But all of that gave me an early sense of kind of where, what some of the possibilities were and where things needed to head. And with that in mind, and where the school is today, I've already shared with you kind of the richness of what we're already doing. I think where our school needs to head and where the education needs to head is, um, is to continue to really ensure that we're providing the most interactive and most enriching technology experiences and pedagogical experiences that we can in this online environment. So I have this quote here, the value of that community is that learning is always happening and in unpredictable and useful ways. They develop relationships through this intense immersion that are more meaningful than being your uh, Facebook friend. And in this case, they're kind of challenging online education to, you know, is it really, can it really, you know, be as good as face-to-face as -face education? And, I mean, the answer is yes, it has to be. And I think we're already doing a lot, and I think we need to continue to be investing in that and making sure we're doing all that we can to be making that as great and meaningful experience, enriching experience as possible. Now, there's a really um, great quote from Michael Stevens that just from a couple weeks ago, where I'm going to read it, it's kind of long, but um, where he says this, if you are a current library and information science student and have not spent some time inside these online environments, do it ASAP. If you're a future LIS student looking for a program, examine the technology offerings of your potential schools very closely because every aspect of what librarians do, from collection development, information services, and web presence to story time, circulation, and programming is or will be touched in some way by technology. Join the conversation. Um, so I think, that, uh, I think we're on the right path, and I think uh, the school should continue to do that. But at the same time, we need to be continuing to explore ways to facilitate that richer student-teacher interactions and, and create that deeper sense of community. One of the things we're exploring in this space, for example, right now is looking at different ways that we can have uh, real-time um, 
uh, desktop video experiences to simulate that face-to-face ex- exchange that you can have, kind of that impromptu um, uh, interactive experiences. So we're looking into different ways that we continue to invest and build our infrastructure to meet those needs. And that we should be experimenting with new online social media and mobile technologies. Um, that is something that we definitely uh, are doing. And um, uh, some of the things we're looking at mobile, looking at LinkedIn, we're looking to different technologies that will help us enhance the ways that we deliver our um, um, uh, faculty can deliver presentations, embedding more audio and video into those experiences. And we also need to, at the same time, make sure that we're consistently um, ensuring high-quality standards, both for our students, for our faculty, and in in every way to make sure that our education continues to meet a high bar. And we already invest a lot in a lot of ways about um, to ensure that kind of quality. Um, Okay. So the second one is about positioning, that we need to prepare library and information science professionals and leaders for an evolving future. I've already indicated that I think that that's an important thing that we need to be doing. Um, And uh, I wanted to provide a little bit more background on that, because in addition to my own personal experiences of working in libraries, um, you know, chemistry library at the University of Michigan, or the undergraduate library, or working in law firm libraries, I've also found that personally, that I've been able to apply our library and information science um, skills in other kinds of outside of the library, in other ways. Um, A good example of that was the work that I've been doing at Microsoft most recently, uh, where I um, applied my uh, library and information science skills over the past five and a half years working on a variety of roles, such as the user experience manager for Hotmail, one of the largest webmail uh, services in, in the world, and also being leading a set of uh, global researchers to inform the direction and the experience for MSN.com, one of the biggest content portals. So um, some of the skills that I thought were really valuable to me in applying that from our library and information science background were, were some of the user-centered principles that we learn in library science. I think we're like one of the, or, you know, we were user-centered before there was user-centered design. I mean, we've been user-centered our entire profession, thinking about how um, we should best meet the needs of our users through collections, through um, services that we offer in every way, and that applies equally well in other, in, to design of information products or other kinds of services. I think also the, our understanding of information organization principles is another area that is really applicable in a wide range of areas, thinking about how best to display information, all different kinds of information, whether that's mobile or TV or whether that's con- uh, uh, portal content or whether that's email content, whatever it is, we've understood and we've learned a whole bunch of principles that are applicable in, in a wide range of areas. And one of the things I'm really pleased that the school offers and requires our students to take is research methods. And I think that's so important. And I think that because of that, I think we also have that in our, in our tool set of um, being able to um, apply, apply in a thoughtful way um, research methods, and, which you need to do in so many different ways in the work that you do in terms of how you evaluate things and think about things. So I see a whole bunch of things that have been useful to me personally um, in working outside of a library but still f- 
applying our library and information science principles. Okay, so now I have this quote, and um, this I think is spot on. This was in the Occupational Outlook Handbook from 2010-2011, and the quote there is from, from that is that more and more librarians apply their information management and research skills to arenas outside of libraries, for example, database development, reference tool development, information systems, publishing, internet coordination, marketing, web content management and design, and training of database users. So there's also taking a look at the future and also targeting that there's opportunities both within libraries, but also there's a lot of opportunities outside, and we should be thinking about those. Um, this is another quote from Michael Stevens. It was same same day, but um, different part, and I think this is also important for us to take a look at when he says, if the, if the online world is not for you, then neither may be a career in librarianship. The most prevalent LIS jobs in the next few years will probably be ones where you're not tied to your desk and you communicate well beyond the physical walls of the building, which gets back to some of the things I was talking about earlier. So what is it that we need to be doing and in the future? We need to be continuing to introduce new courses and retool existing ones to position our students well for future careers. And we're already doing a pretty good job of that. Here are some courses that are just recently offering that I think are really kind of exciting and are going to help position our students well for a whole wide range of future careers. Uh, Web 3.0 emerging trends in libraries, using social media for competitive research, information entrepreneurship, digital asset management, implications and applications for new media. I think that these are, these are the kind of direction we need to go, and we need to be continuing to evolve these and make sure we're, we're positioning our students well for the future. Additionally, I think we need to be improving um, the preparation of our students for these um, evolving career opportunities. Some of the things include making sure that we're providing our students with the most, uh, the best kinds of resources available for career counseling and career resources. One of the things we just started doing is an annual jobs audit to see what kind of jobs and job titles there are and what kind of requirements they have. And we need to be using that to feed back into our program to make sure our students are well positioned and prepared, just as an example. Another thing is that we need to be thinking about ways to encourage broad thinking about the skill sets and how, uh, that you get in a library and information science program and how to apply those in a range of settings. One of the things that we've been working on is an information environments class, for example, which will expose our students to a wide range of information environments that are both traditional in nature but also untraditional in nature that might, may or may not be directly in a library setting and to get people to think a little bit more broadly about how we could, um, uh, where, how, they, how you can use your skills. And also taking a look at the kind of internship opportunities that we offer our students and making sure that, that both uh, uh, industry and other non-library settings, uh, in addition to the library settings that are already taking great advantage of our interns, that we provide a good range of opportunities to our students. Okay, solve. So this one is... I, part of the vision is to apply innovative solutions to library and information science practice problems. And in this regard, I think that um, I thought I would tell a little bit about how um, I see some good opportunities both from inside library, um, working with, you know, different uh, library groups, agencies, you know, potentially the state library, 
you know, other kinds of library associations, as well as looking at in our placement in the Silicon Valley and industry, loca- industry opportunities to see how we can apply our skill sets to help solve problems such around, let's say, search or problems around, you know, different types of information retrieval. Um, I was actually hired at HP Labs um, when I first came to the Silicon Valley to do very much that, but in-house. So I was hired actually to create a program for HP Labs um, called the Information uh, Research Program, which was specifically aimed to study and to improve how information was integrated into the R&D research that the scientists and engineers at HP Labs did. It was really applying innovative solutions to LIS practice problems. How do we get information best integrated with R&D? And I was embedded into HP Labs to help solve those problems and do research and collaborate and partner to do that. So I see a lot of opportunities for us to take that kind of model but extend it out to um, partner with a wide range of uh, groups. Um, That's something that we could help uh, work together on. Uh, to pursue opportunities for grants, applied research, education, training opportunities. And then I think an important part of that is also that we should be sharing the whatever we learn out broadly. And one of the things that we're working on right now, for example, is a student research journal um, that will be entirely online. I think that will be another good avenue for us to be able to share out findings, at least from students, but also other kinds of publications that we need to be um, uh, sharing out these solutions. Okay, and then partnering. I think that an important part of any success is is strong partnering, and that we need to be building interactive partnerships for information exchange. And I think there's a wide range of ways that we can do that. One of the things that Kim mentioned when she introduced me was that I had been involved with the Palo Alto Library Advisory Commission, which I was chair of for a number of years, and I served on for six years. And I happened to be involved on that organization at a very tumultuous time, when we were in the midst, we were in the throes of feeling bad that we had lost a library bond measure and trying to pick up the pieces after that to put together a long-range vision for the future of uh, Palo Alto libraries. And everybody had their own pet point of view about what that future would be. And it was very important (laughs) to build up strong partnerships um, with all the various library stakeholder groups, the friends group, the foundation, the advisory board, plus city council and getting them involved, as well as the community and making sure they were buying into the future vision as well. Otherwise, we wouldn't be successful in getting a a voter-approved bond measure through. So that kind of partnership was important for us to move us forward to have a shared vision and ultimately to to achieve our shared goals, which was better libraries for Palo Alto. And we were ultimately successful. It took hard work. But I think I tell that story because I see that partnership is important and that it is important for us to pick the right things to partner on and that we should be partnering in a variety of different ways. Uh, Some of those ways um, will be internal to the university and others will be in professional settings and some of it will be through joint funding. Um, And I think there's lots of opportunities for us to talk about that and I'm pleased to be able to talk here at the California Library Association conference and have the opportunity to have that dialogue with you as well. Also, I think that this is an opportunity for us to be utilizing new technologies to help us establish and maintain ongoing communications, and there's a lot of opportunity for that as well. So this, again, is in summary the 
um, how I see that we would be moving into the future to educate and position our students well to solve important problems um, that are facing the information field and to have strong partnering for mutual success. So in conclusion, the future is not some place we are going, but one we are creating. The paths to it are not found, but made, and the activity of making them changes both the maker and the destination. I really look forward to having the opportunity to help create a great future for the school and for the profession.